0: Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Father, we pray that you help us now to praise you, Even if we've come tonight and perhaps our souls are in despair or at least discouragement, give us the strength now to praise you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1761, John Wesley wrote, Five Rules for Singing. And I read them to you tonight for a couple of reasons, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Five Rules for Singing. Number one, sing all, meaning sing all the songs and sing all the verses when you sing them. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find a blessing. Number two, he says, sing lustily and with a good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. I don't know if I would call them the songs of Satan, but what he's saying is you know that when you're driving down the interstate that you sometimes turn on the radio and sing along with the 80s hits. And so if you can sing that with all of your heart, surely you can sing the songs of God as though you were not half dead or half asleep. 3 Sing modestly. Sing modestly. Do not bawl as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation, that you may not destroy the harmony, but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear, melodious sound. Four, sing in time. Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before, not as you can, and take care you sing not too slow. This drawling way naturally steals on all who are lazy, and it is high time to drive it out from among us. And sing all our tunes just as quick as we did at first. Number five. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing Him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing. In other words, pay attention to the words. And see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve of here and reward when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. Now I read you those rules tonight for a few reasons. One, they're just so helpful. I think I've read them at least in short version to you before. They're helpful to us. And they're especially helpful given that Psalm 43 is partially about singing. We'll come back to that. But I also read them to you tonight because it would seem that the editors of our English Bibles, the ones who put the chapter and verse numbers in for us, Never read Wesley's rules. He says the, the number one rule: sing all, sing all the verses. And you may you may know that in some churches it's customary to hear the song leader stand up and say, "Now turn to hymn number 44, and we're going to sing the first, the second, and the fourth stanzas. Their third one always seems to get left out. And it would seem somehow or another that that's what happened to the English Bible editors as they were looking at Psalm 42. They left the third verse out. In other words, if you look closely at Psalm 42 and then you look closely at Psalm 43, what appears to be the case is that Psalm 43 is actually supposed to be the third verse of Psalm 42. Let me show you why I say that. Compare Psalm 42, 9b which says why do i go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy with psalm 43:2b which says why do i go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy compare psalm 42:5 and 11 which both say why are you in despair o oh my soul and why have you become disturbed within me hope in god and so on compare that with psalm 43 verse 5 why are you in despair o oh my soul and why are you disturbed within me hope in God. And also note that Psalms 42 through 50 are all Psalms of the Sons of Korah. They seem to be a set. And if you look at them all, Psalm 43 is the only one of the eight that doesn't have a title to it. It's the only one of the eight that doesn't say, for the choir director of the Sons of Korah, or something to that effect. And it would appear that the reason there's not a title. And the reason why some of the verses in Psalm 42 are, are repeated in Psalm 43 is that this was originally actually one psalm, with three different stanzas to it. Verses one through five being the first stanza, ending with "Why are you in despair, O my soul?" Verses six through eleven being the second stanza, "Why are you in despair, O my soul?" And then chapter or Psalm 43, verses verses one through five being the third stanza, ending with "Why are you in despair, O my soul?" In fact, if you look at some ancient Hebrew Bibles, they do see this as one entire psalm rather than just two. Now I point all that out, not just for historical interest, but to say that tonight's sermon is really like the third verse of last week's sermon. Tonight's sermon is kind of a continuation of what we saw in Psalm 42 last week. And what did we see last week? We saw, remember, in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 42, that there was a man writing and singing this psalm who was thirsty from God. Thirsty for God, I should say. Thirsty for God because he was distant from God. He was distant geographically, he tells us down in verse 6. He was across the Jordan, far to the north at Mount Hermon. He also felt distant from God because of the oppression of his enemy, as we have just seen, and perhaps for other reasons, perhaps for his own sins and so on. But he feels distant from God, and, and he's thirsty. He's panting for God. He's saying, "When do I get to come and worship you again? When will you appear? When will I appear before you again? And when will you appear before me again? When will I know you the way I used to know you? When will I be in your presence again? When, verse four, will I be what I once was? When, I, when will I serve you again like I used to serve you? When will my joy be as it was at the beginning?" And I asked last Wednesday night and I ask again tonight if you sense what He senses. If perhaps recently in your spiritual life you have felt this same thirst distant from God. Perhaps not even thinking about it until we looked at Psalm 42 or perhaps not even thinking about it until tonight. But have you felt distant from God? Perhaps saddened that you are not what you once were? That the joy that you used to have about... Forgiveness of sins and that you are one of God's children has waned? Have you realized that you need refreshing and revival? Does Psalm 42, 1 through 4 speak your language? For some of you, it does. And if it doesn't tonight, if you're doing well tonight, as we said last week, you may not be doing well next week or next year or ten years from now. And so we said last week that whether we're struggling now, whether we feel distant from God now, or whether we anticipate that someday in the future we may, we need to learn from the psalmist. We need to learn what a person does when he feels thirsty for God, when he feels that his soul is parched and dry. And we we, we noted three things. I want to remind you of them. First, we noted that when you feel distant from God, you don't just kind of zip your lip and just kind of wait for things to happen. You preach to yourself, right? You don't listen to yourself, all the mumbo-jumbo that goes on in your head, all the self-recrimination and all those things. You preach to yourself. And that's what he did in verses 5 and 11 of Psalm forty two five, And he does it again in verse 5 of Psalm 43. Each of these times, he grabs himself up by the shirt, as it were, and say, why, why are you in despair? Hope in God. Remember God. He's just the same as he always was. His promises are still true. You will again praise him. He preaches to himself. And we need to do that for ourselves. We need to remind ourselves to hope in God. We need to remind ourselves what God is like and what he's promised. And to stir ourselves up to believe. When you're struggling, don't just sit there and wait for lightning to strike. Preach to yourself. Open your Bible and tell yourself the things of God and remind yourself, stir yourself up afresh. Secondly, we said that when we're struggling spiritually, when we feel like we're uh, laying in the wilderness and far from God, we need to remember what God has done in days gone by. Remember Psalm 42, verse 4. The psalmist looked back to the times when he used to have the joy of his salvation, when he used to lead the people in singing, when he used to lead them into the house of God and be excited to worship God. And he looks back on that. And looking back on that in verse 4, then he can say in verse 5, I will again praise Him because he remembered that he used to praise God, that God used to be His joy, that God once worked in His life in power. Now he can say in verse 5, God can do it again. And I can praise Him again. And I can be again what I once was. So preach to yourself and then remember what God's done in the past. Remember what He's done in the Bible. Remind yourselves of the stories. Remember what He's done in church history. Helping people that were in deep distress And remember what He's done in your own life. Remember those times when He has helped you before. And say to yourself, God can do it again, and I will yet praise Him. So preach to yourself. Remember what God's done. And then the third thing we said that we didn't have much time to expand on was sing and pray. When your soul is in distress, when you feel distant from God, when you feel dry and parched, when you feel that there's a wilderness in your soul, one practical thing or two practical things you can do is sing and pray. I say we didn't have much time to think about those in depth last week, but fortunately for us, we didn't finish this entire psalm or two psalms, however we want to look at it. Psalm 43, or the third verse of Psalm 42, actually expands upon those two ideas. If you look at them, you'll see that in verses 1 through 3, The psalmist is praying. We want to sing and pray. And then in verses 1-3 through of Psalm 43, we find him praying. And then you'll notice in verse 4, we find him singing. Or at least talking about the fact that he wants to be singing. And so, we said last week as kind of one of our three points, when your soul is troubled, make sure you sing and pray. And tonight we're going to take that third point from last week and break it in two and just have two main points tonight. Namely, how do you pray when there's a wilderness in your own breast, when your soul is parched? And in those situations, number two, how do you sing? But before I answer those questions, I want to ask you an honest question. I've asked it already and I want to ask it again. Are you thirsty like this psalmist? Do you feel distant from God? Has it been a while since you really actually talked to Him? Does it feel that there's a wilderness in your breast? If not, don't don't feel guilty about that. Be glad. But I'm simply asking because I don't doubt that there's at least one or two of us here tonight that would say, yeah, that's exactly me. I don't know how it happened, but I'm not what I once was. I'm far from God. And if not tonight, have there ever been seasons in your life where you felt this way? I don't ask that because I want you to feel bad thinking about the difficulty that you're having or have had in your spiritual life. I ask you that because I want you to feel the importance of this song. I want you to feel that you need it and that you must apply it to your life. In other words, it will do no good talking about what to do if your soul is parched. Unless you either feel or understand what it is to feel that your soul is parched. If you don't enter into what the psalmist is is saying here, then his, his practical applications will be of little help to you. So I ask you, just before we begin, do you ever feel in your soul like it's a shriveled up little leaf? Think about those times in your life. Get them in your mind so they can be the backdrop to really hear what the psalmist has to say tonight. When you're parched in your soul, when you're distant from God, what do you do? Well, he says two of the things he did was sing and pray. We've heard Wesley's rules for singing, so now let's hear the psalmist's rules for singing and for praying. First, from verses 1 through 3, how did the psalmist pray when he was spiritually dry? When there was a wilderness in his own heart, how did he pray? If you just walk through, I want you to see three things. First, in verses 1 and 2, I want you to see that he asked honest questions. He asked honest questions. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. And hear the questions. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Part of his distance from God was geographic. Part of it, perhaps, was his own inner difficulty. And part of it was because of the oppression of his enemy. And in the face of that difficulty, notice that he asks God some hard questions. Verse 2 is a pair of hard questions. Now, depending on your preconceived ideas about what kinds of questions we should and shouldn't ask God or depending on the tone of voice with which you read or hear verse 2, you might think that he is putting his finger in God's face and challenging God in verse 2. In other words, you could read verse 2 like this. For you're the God of my strength, why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? You could read it that way. I don't think that's the way that we should read it. I don't think that's the way the psalmist intended it. I think the psalmist would have said it something like this. For hear the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? I think he he, he says it. I think we should hear it with a humble tone. I think he's not putting his finger in God's face and challenging God. I think he's simply being honest about his struggles. And asking God honest questions. The same way that David does over in Psalm 22. Remember when he starts the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think David is saying, Why have you forsaken me? I think he's saying, God, I don't understand. Why is this happening? And then Jesus, of course, takes those words on his lips and applies them to himself. And we know that Jesus is not putting his finger in God's face. That he's not challenging God. And there's no indication that we should read Psalm 43 any different way. He's asking God honest questions. And we can as well. Now note that there is a difference between asking honest questions and questioning God, isn't there? Superficially, the difference can simply be in the tone of your voice. Why have you forsaken me? Or, why have you forsaken me? But, but deeper than that, more specific than that, more important than that, it seems to me the difference between asking an honest question and questioning God or challenging God or putting your finger in God's face, the difference between those two is whether or not you're prepared to accept the answers that God gives you. There's a way you can ask a question that's not really asking a question, it's making an accusation. And then there's a way you can ask a question that even if it's a difficult question, says, I know it's a hard question, but I really want to know the answer. Are we willing to accept God's answers? In other words, if we say, God, why have you rejected me? Why is this happening? Why am I facing such difficulty in my life? Are we okay if God simply says to us, well, it's for my glory. And it's going to work out for my glory and you'll just have to trust me. Or are we okay if we say, why is this happening? And God says, it's happening because you did X. You sinned. Are we okay with that? Are we okay... If God says to us like he said to Paul when Paul had a thorn in his flesh and he prayed three times and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Are we okay with those kinds of answers? In other words, are we asking God the question because we want God to backpedal and say, oh, you're right, you're right. I shouldn't have done this to you. Or are we asking God the question because we say, I accept what you give and I accept your answers. I just if there's a way for me to know what's happening here. Could you tell me? That's the difference between asking an honest question and questioning God. And so you need to ask yourself when you're in these situations and you find yourself praying and and wondering and asking, do I really want the answers? Or am I simply putting my finger in God's face? If you're not challenging God, if you're not accusing God, if you're not angry with God, then I think Psalm 43 verses 1 and 2 Teaches you that there is a place for hard questions to ask to God. Many of the Psalms seem to teach this, in fact. The psalmist asked honest questions. And if we are honest and if we are humble, we can ask honest questions as well. Now, just a caution sometimes we can start out asking honest questions and we ask them so much. That we become bitter because we just keep reminding ourselves of our difficulty. I think that's why after, why God after Paul prayed three times about his thorn in the flesh, finally just kind of said, "My grace is sufficient for you. You don't have to keep asking me." Perhaps because if Paul kept asking God ten, twenty, thirty times, Paul would have eventually become bitter. So be careful. Ask the honest questions. But don't think that if you ask four or five times and God hasn't answered you, that that means that He's somehow not faithful. Don't allow yourself to become bitter. The psalmist asked honest questions. Secondly, how did he pray when he was spiritually dry? Well, he prayed, verse 3, over the Word or over the truth of God. He prayed over the truth of God. Remember that the psalmist's distance from God was partly geographical. He's across the Jordan River, away from the temple, and way to the north at Mount Hermon. And when he prays in verse 3, therefore you might expect him to say, God, I'm far away from you. Send forth a new assignment so that I can come back to Jerusalem. Or, Or maybe he's away because of the oppression of the enemies. And maybe we would expect him to say, God, send forth your armies and let them... Verse 3, bring me to your holy hill. You would expect him to ask God for some physical deliverance that would bring him back to Jerusalem. But instead, he asks God to send forth his light and his truth. He recognizes that his distance from God, though it is geographic, is not merely geographic. He doesn't just need a new assignment, he doesn't just need to be physically back in Jerusalem again. Though he would love that, he says at the end of the verse. But he also needs God's light and truth. We're not sure all that he has in mind here. How is it that the light and the truth are going to lead him to God's holy hill? But we know that he's not thinking merely only in geographic terms. His distance from God isn't merely geographic. And maybe there's a hint there for some of us. In other words, sometimes when we feel distant from God, when we feel dry in our souls, we can look at our lives and we can say, well, it's, you know I had this health difficulty or my schedule has gotten odd and so I haven't been reading my Bible as much as I would like to. And so that's the reason. If I, once I get well or once my schedule gets right, then everything will, will be fine. And we can pray about our health and pray about our schedules. There's no doubt about that. But those things are only on the surface just as the, the psalmist' geographic distance from the temple was only the surface thing. But he didn't simply ask God to take care of the geography. He asked God to send forth light and truth. And so when we're in that kind of situation where we, we face a, a, a physical difficulty or a temporal difficulty that's making it a little bit challenging for us to walk with God, we don't simply need to pray for extra rest and more time though we can pray for those things. But we need also to realize that there is a spiritual element to that. It's not just the surface things that are keeping us from God. We need His light and His truth as well. And what does the psalmist mean by light and truth? Well, a couple couple possibilities. I'll give you the main one that I think is probably correct first. Probably truth here represents... God's word, what God says that's true, what God says about himself, the promises he makes. After all, the psalmist is calling upon God's character and God's promises in these refrains that he says three times in 42.5 and 42.11 and 43.5. Truth probably represents the truth of the scriptures, the truth about God's character and his promises. He's asking God, make yourself known to me. I'm far away from you geographically, but I realize I'm also far away from you in my soul. Send forth your truth. Make yourself known to me again. Manifest yourself to me. And then light is either a parallel to that. It could be that light and truth are or he's referring to the same thing. David, or the psalmist in Psalm 119, says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So he may be just saying the same thing twice. Or he may be saying, send me your truth and then give me light to understand it. Give me some help. Come and help me. We would say in the New Testament specifically, we would say, God, give me your truth and then give me the Holy Spirit to help me understand your truth. So he's either asking simply for the truth or he's saying, I need the truth and I need you to help me understand the truth, to remind myself of the truth, to believe the truth. My problem is not geographic only. It's that I need the truth. He begins to pray about that. The request is, guide me into the truth. Help me believe the truth. And some of us, including me, need to remember that. That he prayed about that. He didn't just flip open a Bible or a scroll or call to memory some scriptures. But he prayed that God would send forth his truth. That God would do it. We need to remember that. Because we can complain sometimes. I've been reading my Bible, but it just seems dull and flat. I don't, I'm not getting anything out of it. What do you do in that situation? You can do like I often do and just keep reading it because that's what you're supposed to do. Read it every day. I've got to read these two chapters today. Or you can do what some of you perhaps have done before, which is, man, I'm not getting anything out of this. This is dull and fine. So eventually you wake up one day and you realize you haven't read it in two weeks. But there's a third option. You can give up. That's one option. You can just keep going out of duty. That's another option. At least that's a better option probably. At least the word is coming into your ears. But there's a third option. The psalmist, when he's dry, doesn't just give up. And he doesn't just stick with his duty. But he calls out to God, send forth your truth. Help me. Help me with this Bible reading. Help me with this truth that I want to remember and call to mind and believe on. Help me. Do you ever pray like that when you open your Bible in the morning? God, yesterday and the day before and the day before I read this, and I I don't know that I got anything out of it. Would you please send your light, the Holy Spirit's help, and illuminate this truth so that it's real to me? Do you ever do that? I think that's what the psalmist is hinting at. There's a second possibility as to what he means here. On one hand, he may be asking God to, to illuminate the truth to him. But remember, part of his problem was that his enemies were oppressing him. And so it's possible when he says, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy hill. It's possible that what he means is, God, my enemies are oppressing me. But if you would send forth your light and your truth and open their eyes, they would let me go and I could come back to the temple. Maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe he is is saying in advance what we have learned to sing. There's a call comes ringing o'er the restless waves. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. Maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe he's saying the reason why I'm distant from you geographically is because my enemies are oppressing me and I can't get back. But if you would send your light and your truth and open their eyes, not only would their eyes be open, but my heart would be back in Jerusalem worshiping you as I once did. But in either case, whether he's asking God to illuminate his own eyes to the truth or to illuminate his enemies eyes to the truth. The bottom line here is that he's praying about Bible truth. He's praying about God's truth and asking God to do something with his truth, to illuminate his truth, either to himself or to his enemies. And when you're struggling, whether your struggle is your own or whether your struggle is with the sinful people around you, that's a good way to pray. God open my eyes to the truth today. God open her eyes to the truth today. Pray about the truth. Give the truth out. Put the truth in. But pray about it. That God would work and that God would open people's eyes. Thirdly, when he was spiritually dry, the psalmist prayed about public worship. He prayed about public worship in the second half of verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. I don't think he's speaking figuratively here. I think he's saying I need light and truth. Again, we don't know exactly how that works and how light and truth are going to bring him to the holy hill. But I need light and truth so I can get back to the temple, back to the holy hill, back to the worship service. I think that's what he has in mind. I don't, I don't think it's the hill itself that he wanted to kind of bend down and smell the grass and say, oh. Jerusalem. I think he's saying, I want to be back at the holy hill because that's where the temple is. And I want to be in the temple because that's where God and His people are. That's where we meet. That's where I connect with God and where I connect with His people. And so he's saying, God, help me. Bring me back to Your people again so that I can hear Your Word again, so that I can see the shed blood again and remember that there's atonement for sin. Bring me back to the holy hill. Now, bearing in mind that The psalmist's separation was geographic, that there was a geographic place where he was and there was a geographic place where the temple was and he wanted to get from one place to the other. And bearing in mind that our distance from God is usually not geographic, almost always not geographic. Even if we're on vacation, we can go to church in most places in the world. Bearing in mind that his distance from God and ours are slightly different, there is still something to be gleaned from the fact that the psalmist prayed God, bring me back to the worship service. It was that important to him. We tend to think opposite of that, don't we? Well, you can worship God anywhere, and that's true. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. And even if I'm by myself, God is with me, and so I can worship God anywhere. And all those things are true, but it's also true that there's something special about being In the presence of God's people where everyone is together worshiping. And he prays about that. God, get me there. And we can pray that way. Even though we're not separated from the worship service geographically. Let me give you several applications for how you might need to pray as the psalmist does. Bring me to the worship service. Perhaps, and and this is the Wednesday night crowd, so this is probably the most likely perhaps. But perhaps... It's that you're here at the worship service, but you're not really here. Does that make sense? You ever come here, but you're not really here? I mean, I come here, and I'm not really here, and I'm the one standing up here talking every week. So I know if I come here and my heart's not really here, that sometimes you come here and your heart's not really here. You come because you're supposed to. And that's good, and that's right, and you should come whether you feel like it or not. But... We recognize that there's something wrong if we come and we don't really want to come. Or if we come and we sit through it and we kind of wake up at the end and go, what was that? Psalm 43? And in that situation, we have the same options as we did when our Bible reading's flat. When the worship service is flat, we have the same options as when the Bible reading is flat. We can either just keep going out of duty and not think about it or we can kind of slowly slacken on and say, I'm not really getting anything out of it, so I kind of put out Wednesday night and, and uh if I'm tired on Sunday morning, you know, I, I just whatever. Or, or if the worship service is flat and that's leading us to not want to be here, we can pray for revival in our souls. What would it be like if every Saturday night or Sunday morning, every single one of us was taking just 15 minutes as an individual, as a family, to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to feel when I wake up in the morning, but let me wake up wanting to be in your house. And if I'm able physically and I'm not ill or, or having difficulties that would keep me from genuinely being here, let me be here. Give me a desire. Help me wake up with a desire in my heart, a song on my lips. What would it be like if everybody prayed that way? Well, I think God would hear our prayers. So that's one, perhaps. Maybe your distance is that you're here, but you're not always here. Maybe your distance is that you make some poor decisions that are keeping you from being here. Again, this is the Wednesday night crowd, so I know you guys are the ones who are always here. And and so this may not directly apply to you now, but it may apply to you in the future. You have some decisions to make and you say, if I make this decision, it means that I'm not going to be able to be with God's people like I once was with God's people. And you can pray in that situation, just like the psalmist does. God, bring me to your holy hill. Help me to make the right choice. Help me not to make a foolish decision. And perhaps thirdly, you can apply the psalmist praying that God would bring him to the worship service to someone else whom you're concerned about who isn't here. You're here. You're glad you're here, perhaps. But there's someone else on your heart who isn't here. They're missing out on prayer. They're missing out on these Wednesday nights. Or maybe they're even starting to be spotty on Sundays. And you look at them and you say, hmm, what do I do? Well, you can bang them over the head, which probably isn't going to be all that helpful. They may need a gentle reminder. But what about prayer? Could you pray for someone else just like the psalmist prays for himself? Could you say to God on someone else's behalf, send forth your light and your truth and let them bring her to your holy hill. Let her be here this Sunday. Let her want to be here. I hope I'm learning a few things um, after six and a half years here. And one of them I I think that I'm learning more and more recently is that um, I need to be more fervent in prayer for these kinds of things and for other difficulties. God certainly calls us to action and we've spent a great deal of time talking about what those kinds of actions are when someone sins or when there's a difficulty. And we need to do what God says. But it seems to me that I'm learning and Psalm 43 is confirming that sometimes the power is simply in prayer. We need to ask God to send forth light and truth into our lives or into other people's lives. So, are you spiritually dry? Pray. Ask God honest questions. Pray over His Word. Pray about how did the psalmist sing? Pray and sing, we said, are the things we need to do. How did the psalmist sing when he felt like he had a wilderness in his own chest, when his soul was parched and dry? Well, he tells us in verse 4, first of all, that simply that he did sing. We said this last week and I want to say it again we talk about how the psalmist sang, we need to notice that he actually sang. He didn't just talk about it. Notice in verse 4, B, though he's not yet in Jerusalem, he's already in his mind imagining what he's going to do when he gets there. And what's he going to do when he gets there? He's going to get out his guitar, so to speak, his lyre, and he's going to praise the Lord with it. Upon the lyre, I shall praise you, O God, my God. And over in chapter 42, or Psalm 42, verse 8, he told us that even in the night, even though he wasn't in Jerusalem, he was singing to the God of his life. And we said last week, and we say again tonight, based on the psalmist's testimony, that when you feel distant from God, when you feel parched and dry, when you feel discouraged, one of the things you ought to do is sing. Make yourself sing. Now, we said that last week, and somebody called me this week and said, I got this call and it was difficult news and I was all bent out of shape and frustrated about it and then I remembered Psalm 42 and I just stopped and I just sang and what a blessing it was to sing and remember the Lord's goodness it was a blessing to me to hear that singing is a form of preaching to yourself you're reminding yourself of who God is and what he's like and what he's done so that you don't forget and despair unnecessarily Singing is also a way of showing God that even if he slays you, you will still praise him. Even if you spend your whole life feeling dry and thirsty, you're still going to praise him because you know he's real and you know he's there and you believe in the gospel. Singing also has the effect of drowning out needless background noise. You know, the white noise that your own doubts put in your head or that satan puts in your head as he accuses you or just the world's nonsense that's always going on around you what if you sang and sort of drowned some of that out now some people you may be one of them some people seem always to have the tv on when they're at home and they always have the radio on when they're in the car i don't know all the reasons for that sometimes i think it's just out of habit or out of loneliness but sometimes i think we turn the radio on in our cars at least i do to drown out my thoughts. In other words, I want to listen to somebody else's thoughts so that I don't have to think my own thoughts because I don't like my own thoughts. They make me troubled. And There's a lot to drown out sometimes when we turn on the radio or the television. But what if the soundtrack of our lives was the hymns of God's praise? Not only would that drown out needless worries... But some of those thoughts that we need to be thinking about, some of those things that we need to face up to, singing the hymns would actually give us the strength to face up to them. Whether it's our own guilt or someone else's sin or loneliness or whatever it may be, what if the soundtrack of our lives was the hymns? Now, as I said a week ago, this is unnatural to some of us. For most of us, when we're discouraged, the last thing we want to do is to just stop and sing. And some of us actually don't like to sing in general. And some of us would be embarrassed to sing out loud. That's what Wesley was saying. But you just try it out. You face difficulty, just pause. If you need to go you know, out of your cubicle and into the bathroom or somewhere and just sing to the Lord. And I say again, if, if we can drive down I-75 and you know you do it, singing to, at the top of our lungs with James Taylor or the Bee Gees or whoever it is, if we can do that then surely, surely we can get ourselves to belt out a few verses of great is thy faithfulness or there is a fountain filled with blood or whatever the song that's helpful to you may be. So try it out. Sing to the Lord when your soul is dry. See if it doesn't help you. But then second notice that when his soul was dry, the psalmist wanted to sing and he wanted to sing specifically verse 4, the gospel. He wanted to sing the gospel. Now, notice when you look at verse 4, where the psalmist wanted to be when he sang. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. He wanted to play, he wanted to sing, but where did he want to be when he did those things? At the altar of God. Indeed, he seems to have already gone there in his mind. Why did he want to be at the altar? Again, why couldn't he just sing where he was at Mount Hermon? Of course he could sing there. He was singing there according to Psalm 42.8. But why did he want to get to the altar and sing at the altar? Well, Because the altar is where the blood was spilt. The altar is where the sign of peace with God was shown to the people. The altar is where the symbol of sins forgiven was shown to the people. The altar is where a man went to obtain a clean conscience. And that's where the psalmist wanted to go and sing. Presumably because that's what he wanted to sing about. God, my exceeding joy. God, the God who accepts sacrifice. God, the God who has made atonement for sin. God, the God who loves sinners and sheds blood for their forgiveness. That's where he wanted to be, and that's what he wanted to sing about. And from a New Testament perspective, we read that and say, well, he didn't know all the implications. He didn't know the words. He didn't know Jesus' name. But what the psalmist is saying is that he wanted to sing the gospel. He wanted to sing the gospel. That's where his mind gravitated as he thought about singing to the Lord. And there's a lesson in that, isn't there? We need to sing, yes. But more specifically, following the psalmist's example, we want to sing at the altar. We want to sing the gospel. We want to sing of the cross of our Redeemer and of the blood that never fails and of sins forgiven and conscience cleansed and death defeated and life without end. That's what we want to sing to ourselves, the gospel. C.J. Mahaney, who talks about singing the gospel in his little book, The Cross-Centered Life, says something that's very perceptive, I think. It's not meant as a critique. It's just meant as a fact. Here's what he says. Not all worship songs are created equal. Not all worship songs are created equal. That's not to say that that some are bad and some are good. Some are bad and some are good. But even amongst the good ones that are biblical, some are helpful and some are even more helpful. Some are balm to our souls and some are, are even better than that. Now, think it out with me. If you've really blown it. If you've fallen again into that besetting sin and you're so ashamed, which is going to be more helpful to you in that moment? I love you, Lord, which is a wonderful song, but which you don't feel at all in that moment. Or, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Wonderful songs, we sing them both, but in the moment of depression or guilt or sin, or frustration. There are some songs that are going to be even more helpful because they're about what God has done and will do for you and not about what you want to be for God. It's not about the style that makes a song more helpful than another. It's about the content. The gospel is what we need when our souls are parched. And I thought about it this week. We were at Meyer at the pharmacy and... Um, when I go in there, I've never bought it yet, but I'm always tempted to buy fish oil. You all know about fish oil. I don't know if it's any good. John's shaking his head. It just seems interesting to me, and it come, comes from Europe, and so I kind of think probably it's good. Um, I've never actually bought it, but I'm there, and, and I think about fish oil and whether or not that might be helpful. But Julia has strep throat, and so I'm waiting on penicillin. And whether or not fish oil is helpful, we can use vitamin C. I think that's good for us, right, at least. Vitamin C is good for us. But when you have strep throat, though vitamin C is still good for you, it's not going to cure the strep throat. You need the right medicine. And the gospel, when you feel distant from God, is the right medicine. A reminder of Christ's shedding His blood on the cross on your behalf. That's what you need to sing to yourself. So you think about it. Why is it that you, when you feel distant from God, why is it that you feel distant? What is it particularly for you? It may be a combination of things, but let me just give you a few practical examples. Do you feel distant from God sometimes because you're suffering in some way? Sing the Gospel to yourself. Sing, it is well with my soul. And you'll sing through that song and you'll sing through the first couple of verses and you'll say, yes, it should be well with my soul. God has taught me to say whatever my lot, it is well, it is well with my soul. But then you get to the third verse and you say, is this just pie in the sky? I mean, God has taught me to say it's well with my soul. Why is it well with my soul? Even if if my my kids got cancer, why is it still well with my soul? And the third verse tells you, because the third verse is the gospel, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. O my soul. That's the key to the song. That's the anchor to the song. Because no matter what's going on in your life, if your sins are forgiven and you're going to be in heaven where Jesus will wipe away every tear from your eye, then it's well with your soul no matter what happens on the earth. You need to sing the gospel to yourself when you're suffering. Or is it that you feel distant from God because you're burdened by your guilt? This is the one for me many times. What do I do? I sing the Gospel to myself, or I should, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see Him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. And God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. I may not be satisfied with myself, but when God looks upon his son, he is satisfied with what he's done, and he will pardon me. And as long as he stands in heaven, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Maybe you feel distant from God sometimes simply because of your own spiritual laziness. You know you're forgiven, you're not really suffering. Everything in, in your life is actually going quite well, but you're just not pursuing God. You need to sing the gospel to yourself. You so say, Oh, how does that help me? Well, think about hymn 144, which says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? You sing that and you say, Wonderful. Jesus died for me. I can't believe it. It's amazing. And then you get to the last verse of the hymn that says, To the lazy Christian. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And all of a sudden, singing the Gospel and reminding yourself of all that God has done for you in Jesus puts a finger in your chest and says, can you ignore this, God? Can you continue to be lazy? And you're helped. Or maybe, finally, your distance from God is... Perhaps because you look at your circumstances and they wouldn't seem to communicate that God loves you. And so you begin to doubt, maybe God doesn't love me. I mean, if He loved me, this would have happened and this would have happened and this would have come through and she wouldn't have done that or whatever it is. And so you look at your circumstances and you say, I can't see God's love anywhere in this. You've got to sing the Gospel to yourself. And here's what you sing. Here is love vast as the ocean loving kindness as the flood when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood it's not out there in all my circumstances that love is shown it's here in the gospel that the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood so do you see no matter what your problem is in the gospel of Jesus there's hope and in the gospel of Jesus there is a solution So then, what's your problem right now? What's the thing that's eating at you? What's the thing that's tempting to drive you away from God and to drive you to discouragement? Whatever it is, make sure, like the psalmist, that you pray. And make sure that you get alone by yourself and sing. And make sure that when you sing, you sing the gospel.